Red Notices and Interpol sounds like a movie plot. Well, yes, yes it is, starring The Rock, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. But it's also a serious legal issue. Michelle Eslin of Eslin Law is here to explain. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for making this show part of your day. And also a big thank you and welcome to our new sponsor, Noda. They're powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnoda.com forward slash legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, let's get right to it. Today, we're going to be talking about red notices and Interpol. And luckily, we have a wonderful guest joining us, Michelle Eslin from Eslin Law. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's nice to be with you. Excellent. No, thank you. Thank you. So, you know, uh, my producer, Molly McDonough, she presented the uh, the idea of doing red notices to me. And I have to admit, I was very unfamiliar. And I said, what, what's a red notice? And so she sent me a link. She, she knows me very well. And she sent me a link to a movie starring The Rock, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. And so she knows <laughs> that that'll draw me in. And so I'm like, all right, let's do it. This looks pretty interesting. So we started to do our research. But I have to admit, I'm not super familiar with this line of work. Now, I know you're at Interpol defense attorney. So, you know, tell us about your practice and, uh, you know, how did you get into this line of work? Well, yeah, that's right. I'm an Interpol defense attorney. And what that means is I help people who are wanted by various countries and those countries are using Interpol to help find them. And the people who come to me typically feel that they should not be on the Interpol wanted list. There are thousands of notices issued every year for people, typically red notices, which I think we'll probably talk about later. And the majority of them are correctly entered into Interpol's system. But there are some that are entered invalidly or for wrong reasons or bad reasons. And when people feel that they've been targeted um, improperly by those countries that use Interpol to help find them, they come to me. And my job is to try to get them off of Interpol's wanted list. And the way I started was actually a um, complete coincidence. A woman came into my office and asked me for help with removing her from an Interpol wanted notice, which was a red notice. And she said, can you help me? And I said, no, I have no idea what that is. This was probably 11 or 12 years ago. Oh, um, wow. But yeah, I knew nothing about it. And she said, please, let's just try. I trust you. And and so we did try We um, and we won. And it really caught my interest. It, it, these kinds of cases take a lot of work, a lot of research, and they involve criminal issues and international law and political issues. And I just find it fascinating. And I've been doing it ever since. And my practice has grown to become actually a majority um, of it taken up by Interpol cases. Well, wow, that, that's an amazing start. So basically, a client comes to you, go right into a brand new area of law. That, that That's amazing. Yeah. And, it, you know, it wasn't completely different in the sense that there was a criminal aspect to it. There was also a political aspect to it, because this was in the time when Venezuelan authorities were expropriating a lot of banks so people who were associated with the management of the bank or who were leading the banks were finding themselves targets of the, the regime at that time or the administration at that time. And so it, it just was a fascinating case. And the woman really needed help. And I was very glad that I was able to help her. And I was also glad from my own viewpoint that I was able to kind of take on a new area of law that incorporated what I already knew about criminal and what I was already interested about politics and international issues. So it was a really nice fit. 
Well, let's talk about what a red notice is. And so, you know, if you find yourself on a red notice, what, what does that mean to you? It, oh, it means a lot of things. It's debilitating and it's immobilizing. A red notice is not technically an arrest warrant. And if you are the subject of arrest of a red notice, it doesn't mean that you're going to be arrested. It means that you could be. So a red notice is kind of like a be on the lookout. It's a notice that Interpol issues to all of its member countries. There are 194 right now saying that one of the member countries is looking for this person. So if this person travels and they come into, say, an airport or some other uh, port of entry to a country, it should happen that that person's presence, that the authorities are alerted that that person is there and that the person is in um, Interpol's databases. So the country, though, has authority to do whatever it wants in response to learning of the presence of the red notice subject. They could just take note that the person entered. They could do nothing about it. The system is really not designed for that, though. The system is really designed for the country to alert the other member country, hey, we've got this person here. We want to let you know about it. And that is the idea behind that is to start extradition proceedings. That's not what always happens, but that's the goal. But the other collateral effects of a red notice are that, you know, a lot of these notices are financed for financially based crimes, especially the notices that are not valid. And what we find is that when people have been accused of a financially based crime with a red notice, they get put on a risk management list that's circulated in different databases through to banks, different financial institutions, things like that. And as a consequence, nobody wants to bank with that person. So they may have their bank account closed, Uh, If it's a public red notice, which is the minority of red notices, most of them are not public. But if it is a public one, then, of course, nobody wants to hire you and your clients start dropping off. So the the effect of a red notice on someone's professional and personal life is profound. You can't bank. You can't travel. You often can't work. It, It really is immobilizing. Wow. Yeah, I know it sounds like it. I mean, if you you cannot transact business through your bank account, it is going to be very difficult, especially if you're in a country that's not your home country, you're abroad. And so, you know, you Mm -hmm. have, you can have a lot of trouble there. So, well, as I understand Mm -hmm. it, uh, Michelle, there's some other colors in that international notice system that's put on by Interpol. There's, there's blue, there's green, there's yellow, there's black, there's, there's more colors. And so, you know, tell us about some of those other alerts as uh, Interpol's put out. Sure. I would say probably the the second most common one that I deal with would be blue notices. Blue notices are issued for people who may have knowledge about an investigation that's pending or they may be witnesses to a crime. A blue notice is meant to help find someone, maybe track the person's whereabouts for the purpose of assisting in an investigation. Typically, it's not necessarily the case that the person is wanted for as a suspect. Occasionally, you will see that someone who was once the subject of a blue notice becomes a subject of a red notice, but definitely not always. Green notices are used mostly to alert other countries that somebody who is traveling may enter the other country with the intention of committing a crime therein. And that can be used for a variety of reasons. In my experience, it's been primarily people who have been convicted of some sort of child sex offense who travel to other countries where they tend to attract that kind of tourism. That's usually what I see with a green notice. A yellow notice is for people who are missing. And you do see this for adults. You also see this for children quite frequently. And that's to try to identify a person who's been missing, identified as missing in another country. 
Well, my producer presented this uh, to me and, you know, of course, uh, through this Netflix movie that's coming out. And, uh, you know, it looks like, you know, a red notice would apply to, say, like a spy or maybe like a formal, you know, our former uh, government agent. But my guess is in real life, you know, people are probably more more or less going along a normal path of life. You know, they're kind of like normal Joe and Jane's out there, not necessarily international spies. So, you know, tell us about the walk of life uh, for your clients. You know, who are they? Well, I've actually had um, intelligence officers as clients previously. Oh, oh wow. It's funny you say <laughs> that. Um, yeah. And and it can be that because, you know, a lot of times a country will send an operative over to another country and ask them to do things that are illegal in that country. And typically you don't see prosecutions because typically people don't get caught. But of course, that's possible. It's much more frequent in terms of my clientele that the person is just like you said, a normal person from a normal walk of life. And they get caught on the opposite side of, for example, a new political administration, or they may have criticized the president of a country or some high ranking official of a country. And they're having they're they're facing consequences related to that speech. It could be that there is a legitimate anti-corruption sweep going through. You know, a new a new a new administration comes in, for example, and wants to kind of clean out the old corruption that was there. And that very often does happen. But along with that, innocent people get swept up in that net and find themselves charged with, again, it's usually financial crimes in the new administration's efforts to either A, root out corruption or B, root out old loyalists. So you you see all kinds of people. I've had people who are former heads of state. I've had people who were working very closely with Um, governing administrations. I've had private business people. You see a lot of that because in some countries, a civil dispute, you know, if you and I have a business and we get into a fight and I have a better relationship with local government, it's going to be easy for me to get an arrest warrant issued against you and kind of try to get leverage against you so that I can win whatever our dispute might be. That happens quite frequently. Well, Interpol puts this international notice system out there and they work with a variety of other countries as you as you're discussing here. But, uh, you know, what ties them together? This association of countries that work together. Is there a specific treaty or is it just more of an informal agreement to, you know, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine? Well, it's a, they all have to agree. First of all, they have to apply to become a member country with Interpol. It's not an automatic process. And sometimes it's a little bit um, controversial. We saw that with Palestine, which was admitted, but it took some time and there was a great debate about that. But they have to agree to abide by Interpol's texts and governing rules, that sort of thing. So there are multiple rules that are internal specific to Interpol, including its constitution and the rules of the process on the processing of data that countries have to abide by. In addition to that, the countries have to agree that they're going to uphold the principles of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is basically protect agreeing to protect the due process and human rights of the individuals that they're dealing with. And of course, everybody agrees when they sign up that, yes, we're going to treat everybody fairly. We're going to do everything by the book and we're going to abide by your rules. And that certainly does not always happen. There's also funding that countries contribute depending on their ability and and probably in part on their willingness to. So some countries are larger sponsors of Interpol than others. And um, that depends obviously on on what they have to contribute. In terms of the United States, you know, which one of our agencies works with Interpol? Is it the FBI, Homeland Security, CIA, or is, can it go down to like local policing as well? 
Well, if you think about the the way that a case develops, for example, let's say that there's a murder here in Miami, Florida. If it's a typical case, it's going to be prosecuted by a state prosecutor and by local officers, right? So it could be that the Miami-Dade Police Department is the department that files the arrest warrant and the prosecutors who are local press the charges. If the person absconds, then the local officials will go to our representatives at what they call Interpol Washington and the Department of Justice, who does work very closely, obviously, with the FBI. And that's our National Central Bureau. Every country has a National Central Bureau that acts as a liaison with Interpol. So our National Central Bureau is the one that prepares the red notice request and sends it to Interpol saying, hey, we're looking for this person. Please approve and circulate this red notice. I was reading your blog and uh, you know a couple of your blog articles out there in preparation for the show. One of the questions I had for you is that I know from some of those articles that countries do weaponize these uh, the use of these red notices. But uh, you know, just in terms of weaponizing, you know, what are the rules for the road? I mean, not every country has the same types of laws, and what's illegal in one country is absolutely fair game in another. You know, so what what are the sort of shared rules of the road? You know, what are you allowed to bring up a red notice for versus what? are you forbidden to bring a red notice for? Well, that question has lots of little questions inside it. So I'm going to try and break it down. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) No, no, it's okay. It's it's a great question. So the idea, like we said in the beginning, is for the red notice to lead to the extradition of a wanted person. So they can either face trial or serve a sentence, right? So in order for that extradition to happen, usually the countries have to have an extradition treaty between them. So you have to, that that typically will require that what's a crime in my country is also a crime in your country. If that's absent, an extradition is just not going to happen. And for most crimes, you'll, yeah, there is a similarity. So for example, the U.S. doesn't have a treaty, an extradition treaty with Russia in part because we believe that there have been human and due process rights violations historically, and we don't want to participate in their justice system, right? However, if somebody is in the United States and wanted by Russia and is not a citizen and is a Russian citizen, it's quite possible that that whole principle will be circumvented because our immigration system will allow that person potentially to be removed from this country and sent back to Russia. So that's one way that a person could get sent back to the jurisdiction that's seeking them absent an extradition treaty. But in terms of the actual crimes that qualify there are, there are rules that require that it has to be an actual crime. It has to be a, a, what's considered to be a common crime, an ordinary crime. It can't be something that's political in nature. And it doesn't mean that you can't have something that is a real true crime, for instance, uh, fraud. But there's also a political element to the case, which is that, you know, this person who's accused of fraud happens to be a very high-ranking government official, and there is a lot of animosity between the government that's seeking that person and and the person. Um, there may be an analysis that turns out to show that there this is a big political element to there's a big political element to the case, even though there is a criminal element as well. If something is predominantly political, then that's not going to qualify. And that's honestly not something that Interpol's usually going to catch unless the person is very well known and their name is very recognizable. That's usually something that is going to have to be pointed out to Interpol after the the notice has been issued. If it's someone famous, then of course they're going to recognize who it is and probably give it a little more scrutiny. 
But um, things that are cultural differences, you know, if, if something is illegal in one country and it's based on a religious difference or a religious custom or norm, and that's not something that you find as a crime in other countries, that's not something that's going to be acceptable to Interpol either. We've done some episodes on the no-fly, or one episode, I should say, about the no-fly list. My, my big takeaway with the no-fly list in the United States is that it's entirely possible to get on the no-fly list and not be aware of it. And the first time you might become <laughs> aware of it is when you go book your ticket or a little bit worse, when you show up at the airport trying to go through security, or the worst, you're on your way home after a trip, and now you have to drive home because you're not allowed to board a plane. And so with that no-fly list, you know, I understand that, that those are the places where you get caught you know, in air travel. But as I understand it, uh, when you get caught up in a red notice, it could mean a deportation. So just in terms of like regular everyday life, you know, where, where are um, people on these red notices, where are they being caught up with by law enforcement in their daily lives? Okay. So yeah, it could absolutely be like you said, it could be that there's a a no fly list and the person's just not allowed to board. I don't typically see that though. What I typically see is that if someone has boarded a plane and then the passenger manifest has been checked, which is what's supposed to happen before they arrive at their destination point at the destination point, that is where uh, border officials will either detain the person or prevent them from entering the country based on their red notice discovery. Inside the United States, what we typically see is like what you mentioned, if somebody has an immigration situation pending and they've applied for some form of um, benefit as a, you know, various types of visas or, or, Um, residency, that sort of thing, then it may be that during the evaluation of that application, officials have discovered that there is a red notice. In that situation, very frequently, immigration officials will ask for more information about their red notice, and they may ask for the person to be detained, which will then require the person to go through a bond hearing in order to get out, if they're allowed to get out on the red notice. So usually it's some sort of contact with a government official, and it can even happen with a traffic stop. You know, you don't see that a lot, but it's certainly possible. And people have been caught and either deported or extradited because they had a red notice that was discovered during a traffic stop. Last question for you, Michelle. You know, if you find yourself on one of these lists and it's unjust, and let's say that you're, you know, you're moving from one of those countries that had one of those big political changes, and now you've become sort of an unfavored class, you want to move to the United States either to become a citizen or perhaps uh, become a refugee, and you're worried that your country is going to do this to you, you know, what recourse do you have if you get on this, uh, get on this red notice list unjustly? Well, your recourse is to Please, your case to Interpol, essentially. And Interpol is not a trier of fact. It's not a, a jury. It's not a judge. But it does have kind of a quasi-judicial role. And it does. Interpol has certain things that it doesn't want to be involved in. So if you have a case where Interpol shouldn't be involved or you've been treated unjustly, then absolutely there is a chance to try to get the red notice removed and the better job you do at preparing your case to educate Interpol about why they don't want to be involved, the more likely it is that they're going to agree with you. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. It was really great talking with you. Thank you for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please recommend the show to a friend. Word of mouth is always the best kind. Also, we'll cite our sources for this episode on our website at LegalTalkNetwork.com so you can read those for yourself if you want. I want to thank our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN crew for all their hard work. And one more thank you to Noda, our brand new sponsor. Much appreciated. No bucks, no buck Rogers. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. 